Hello and welcome to Robin and Josie's Book Shambles, or Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. You're listening to the abridged version of this episode. If you'd like to hear the extended, uncut edition, you can, for as little as $1 a month, by pledging to support the podcast and the Cosmic Shambles Network. You'll get access to extended episodes of Book Shambles each week, as well as all sorts of other goodies like free tickets to our events, and so on, and so on, and etc. Go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. It's a forward slash, but you know that again. Hello, welcome to Book Shambles. This is Trent off the top with the usual slew of news and thank yous. The main thanks, as always, goes to our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can pledge to support the show and get extended episodes each week, as well as lots of other goodies, uh, including free tickets to events we do and that sort of thing. And you can also support uh, Book Shambles and all the other podcasts and things we do uh, just by rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts or other platforms where you listen. Five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts especially really helps the show out, gets it out there. And sharing things on social media, uh, podcast episodes and uh, blogs. are uh, Lots of new interesting stuff on the blog network actually in the past week. Uh, John Butterworth reporting in from the High Energy Physics Conference in Belgium. Brenna Hassett uh, has looked at some archaeological currency solutions to what we can do when the pound eventually sinks into the toilet come November. Uh, Ginny Smith has been running experiments on her own brain at her wedding a year ago. It makes sense when you read it, trust me. Robin has written about the moon landing anniversary and lots of other stuff as well as live events we've got coming up. The 27th of August, we're at the Royal Institution in London with Dean Burnett talking about his brand new book, Why Your Parents Are Driving You Up the Wall, a sort of user guide to parents for teenagers or for anyone who uh, used to be a teenager, which I imagine is most of you. So we'll be there with Dean on the 27th of August in the conversation room, having a conversation about the new book, which will also be available to purchase and get signed on the night. Uh, Go to Cosmic Shambles or the RI website for details on that. Sea Shambles is at the Albert Hall next year. It is going to be our biggest show ever hosted by Robin and Helen Chersky and Steve Backshaw. Lots of incredible surprise guests for that. Uh, So come along to that. May 17, 2029 Lessons is coming up this December, as is the compendium. As always, tickets are on the move for that. So make sure you get in early to avoid disappointment. And Robin's tour of Chaos of Delight are brought to you by Cosmic Shambles. All the dates for that are available on the website as well. And if you're in Edinburgh for the Fringe Festival, uh, we're not. Uh, It's the first time in about eight or nine years, I think, that uh, the Shambles crew haven't been up there doing some shows. We are taking a well-earned August off, if we do say so ourselves. But that doesn't mean there aren't lots of Shambles chums up there doing shows that you should definitely go and check out. Josie Long, Michael Legg, Matt Parker, Beck Hill, Stuart Lee, Mark Watson, George Egg, Reginald D. Hunter, Jen Brister, Sarah Kendall, Pete Etchells, Matt Stellingworth, James Nikise, uh, I think Grace Petrie's up there for a bit as well. Go check all of them out and lots of others as well. 
enjoy your time at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival or the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, which is its correct title. And speaking of Edinburgh, last year when we were up there was where we saw the play Signals. It was uh, put on by the team from Footprint Theatre and we are now co-producing some dates uh, in October around the UK of performances of that show, uh, going to Newcastle and Sheffield and York and other places as well as the British Science Festival uh, in September in Coventry. So do go along and check out that show. Uh, you may have heard us talking about it uh, when we did performances of it with Footprint at Latitude and Blue Dot. Uh, or you may have seen it there and you want to come and see it again Cosmic Shambles uh, website has got all the dates for that. And also at the British Science Festival, uh, just before Signals, there's going to be a panel about using science in fiction and in comedy in different ways. Uh, And if you want to come along to that, like the show itself, everything at the British Science Festival is free. Make sure you reserve tickets online, though. Uh, And on that panel, uh, I will be on that inexplicably talking about something or other. So if you want to come along and see either of those things, go to the British Science Festival website to reserve your spot. And speaking of uh, Edinburgh... Uh, Last year when we were up there was when we saw the comedy play Signals, which we are now producing a tour, a UK tour of uh, you'll be able to see the show uh, in places like York. And anyway, enough of all of that. On to this week's episode with Robin and Beck sitting in for Josie and our special guest who you may know from Grumpy Old Women or her novels or her stand up. Here is Robin and Beck with Jenny Eclair. Anyway, by the way, welcome to uh, Beck and Robin's Book Shambles. Uh, Josie's not here again, so we've just changed the title for the time being. Uh, And uh, today we're joined by Jenny Eclair, who has uh, a new book out called Inheritance. It will be out by the time. It will be out by the time this goes out. It's out in about six days, I think, Um, isn't it? Well, we're not counting. Uh, It's about. It comes out on the first of August. I don't know what day it is today, Um, but yes, it's about a week and yeah, nearly a week, over a week. Who cares? It's out on August the 1st. And I apologise for the fact to the listeners that before this, we have a very interesting conversation about cling film that will you'll never hear. But just so you know, the build-up, if you think, oh, there's a level of yeah, melodrama yeah. within this room... What's it's Jenny Clare wearing? Yeah. Is she only wearing cling just film? Just a wrap of cling film. So let's start off. Let's start with your your, your book, and then yeah. we'll talk about lots of other... I was actually thinking of the book, the first book where I became aware of you. I became aware of you from a book, I think, called The Jokes on... Us, which was about female entertainers and comedians, must have come did out about nineteen. Yeah, I did because I I love comedy so much, and I was I would have been eighteen years old when it came out, and you were in it. it was 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 it? Um, it was written by Morwenna Banks and a girl called Amanda. Oh, I wish I could remember her surname. It was very rude not to, but it was you know David. Not Amanda Swift, was it? Yes, it was. Yeah, you used to be well, in a double act called Gorham and Swift. Oh God, you are an animal. Oh, you see, I, I was. I, I, you know, that I was I there, and I can't even remember. <laughs> I'd go to the Canal Cafe Theatre. I'd go and see any. Double act, any, you know, so I'd just say, be there. Any old rubbish. Oh, yeah, any old. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm sure that if I went back now, I'd go, you know what, now 50 <laughs> year old me critiques this and questions it. But at the time, I was like, oh, I'm 17 years old up. having a drink and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it was one of the first books about the new wave of female comics that mm. had come along. It's funny now looking back because there was a wave of female comics in the early 80s. And it kind of just petered out. It was like my generation of women that went in with all sort of guns blazing and sort of thinking we could do it. Uh, and, and sort of did for a while, but it 
it it wore some of them away. I mean, I think that I managed to... It's tenacity, isn't it? It's tenacity. And for women uh, of my generation, this is a terrible thing to hear myself saying... Uh, if you didn't have a supportive partner, your career went down the pan. Mm. It's very difficult um, to have a child and, and a career and not that much money. I mean, if you can afford childcare and all that sort of thing and have a living and, and everything, that's that's another kind of bore part. But for many of us, um, when if partners come home from work and they don't want to take over the childcare, then you can't go out gigging. Yeah. And so I think I was there was a combination of things that I was able to sort of stick in there. I only had one kid. I had an older partner who was already too tired of going to the pub. Um, he didn't become a father till he was forty. I got my timings right, you know. And and it's um, it's interesting now because I see the same but better. Now, that's a terrible thing to say about my generation, but there's a very, very strong generation of women that have come in. I think women are changing the face of comedy in a way that we didn't quite manage to because um, what women are doing now, and I count you in here, Beck, is um, they are not aping what men have done on stage for d decades. They're forging a completely different type of comedy, which is a, uh, a female comedy which is very broad and very theatrical and, and has got lots and lots of different things to say. And I think last year, I, I don't go and see very much comedy because obviously I have cataracts of jealousy and, and can't bear it. And I can't bear watching comedy on television. I mean, I haven't watched a panel game in probably 20 years. Oh, no, years I'm not keen. Because yeah. I haven't been invited on them, so why should I watch? You know, <laughs> Have I got news for you? Not for me, love, you haven't. <laughs> oh. um, but, I, you know, the most of the female comedy I saw last year... Uh, things like Louise Ormelon, um and Bryony Kimmings and um, Rose Matafeo, uh, very different, and Sarah Millican as well. I mean, all doing very, very different things, mm. but all doing their thing in proper venues, not sort of third on the bill. These yeah. are women in theatres doing their show, packed to the rafters, and saying really, and Jade Adams as well, and you, and just so many people, and they're not following each other. They're doing, they're ploughing these very interesting new furrows. I Have wonder seen... if part of it came about because for a lot, uh, for a lot of us, it was very much, and I, and I still get it today, and I'm, I'm sure you do as well, mm. where you get the. Uh, um, I don't normally like female comedians, <laughs> but you're good, and you get so used to being lumped as female being a genre that you're like, well, I can't sound like other people because if I do I get lumped yeah so you have to find your own voice and you have to push on that whereas I think there's a lot of stereotypically there's a lot of men who just go oh what he did works I'll try that and then but they're fine they get up there and they do fine because yeah. for a long time they were men and they got given the chances that the women didn't so but I think at the moment the exciting work is where the women is mm, yeah exactly but or... isn't that partly because when you went on as well you had, and I'm not saying the battle hasn't stopped, by mm. the way, but I remember, you know, I started going to clubs when I was 15 and watching, and there were so few female comics. And when you went on, you are under 10 times the amount of pressure. And I mean, I remember things like, you know, Donna McPhail years ago, I remember her doing a gig. And uh, the open spot was a lesbian comedian and she was rubbish. And Donna was like, oh, brilliant. Now they're going to think all lesbian comedians are rubbish. You know, yeah. that, that pressure. 
that was so you know she the requirement of, of you and, and and Jenny Lacote and mm. Joe Brand and all of those you know and and uh, Hattie Hayridge and uh, I, I don't know if that's you know no, that, that I would say that's the generation of of Hattie yeah, by the way so. uh, first book recommendation apart from obviously Jenny's book which we'll talk about in a minute but if any of you haven't read uh, a random abstract memory by Hattie Hayridge her autobiography it's, it's very a funny bloody delight it's a Isn't really it? great and bit of work it's so sweet I do think that uh, people are always surprised you know we'll get back to the book now <laughs> um, uh, people are sometimes rather surprised when comedians write books but um, the, the, a couple of the best biographies I've read I don't really read very much biography Hattie's I loved and Rona Cameron as well wrote a fantastic book about her childhood which was very dark indeed and um, you know stand up is storytelling and as you get older, the stories, for me, just got longer and longer and longer until they became novels. Mm. And um, although, you know, I, still to this day, I, you know, there are people that I can't quite convince, including my sister. Because I, I think this book, Inheritance, is a really good book club book. It's got lots of issues in it that, you you know, mm. you can have a, a chat about. And um, I said to my sister, oh, I think it's a really good book club book. And she said, well, we only read, really read proper authors authors i'll say that again so you can edit it in properly because i choked over it my sister who's very intellectual and uh we're keeping the choked version because we feel that has more freudian ramifications <laughs> well, then let me just say it again. okay she said well not really my club because uh, we only really read proper authors that's what she said she said that to me to my face but that's what family members are for isn't it they are there to prick your bubble constantly yeah. aren't they yeah, also not... something like i mean i thought that show was awful i mean you were the least worst thing in it i mean you, you know you you were fine but what an awful thing to be involved with yeah yeah how embarrassing for i mean i just i feel every time my sister comes to see anything she starts from a position of absolute agony of embarrassment you know she can see it's like this carapace this cloak of god this is going to be absolutely awful and it's, uh, you know, only by the interval that she'll be slightly sort of into it. I'm really lucky. I've got, I, I, my sisters are really, they're really into the rubbish that I do now. So oh, really? It's, yeah. I, 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 I think I've been very, uh, in the last few, maybe, I, I don't know what it is, but they, and, and that bit of not, I'm still worried if my dad's ever in the audience or anything like that, that, that doesn't go away. Uh, and I don't think my mum ever really, I think, think she was very happy to be there, but she never, you know, I remember never doing really a show with, with Josie and uh, <laughs> and, various, and, it, and it was like kind of, that that was too far away from, from what entertainment comedy. had yeah. been yeah. in the 1950s. Yeah. Why you know, did you get was, the ostrich out? Oh, yeah. Robin. Well, if I, I did do a show with Bernie Clifton once. I, Bernie, Bernie was on and, and uh, I, I introduced him. I did 20 minutes at the beginning and I did. I, I was trying to doing a very kind of serious piece about various different scientific ideas before I talked about giant killer crabs. And uh, and of course, while I was bit, he would run behind me and keep goosing me with the ostrich. And I loved that moment mm-hmm. of being part of the musical. Yeah. Your book, anyway, first of all, yeah. I think it's fantastic. I've never read it. I have to admit, I apologise that I've never read any of your well, novels before. Well, why would you? I'm really sorry. I mean, I don't write for you, Robin. I'm well, not this just... is what, well, I'm not interested anymore. The only authors we have are people who go, well, I was thinking, and I had a little picture of you from the Radio Times with, <laughs> with Brian Cox, though I scribbled that bit out. Is it front cover? Did you get front cover of the Radio I've Times? I've never read that, no. no. I once had a picture of, you know, the nearest I got, the one colour picture, I think, which was uh, me dressed as Isaac Newton. Uh, but uh, I think the fact that uh, Eric Idle and Brian Cox was in there really swung it for them as opposed to me in a curly wig. Yeah, um, I think what but... we should do is ask your followers on Twitter to mock up uh, Radio Times with you on the front so that next time you do log into Twitter you'll have a lovely surprise. Yeah. I got front cover of Big, big Issue. Oh, sorry, see, this is what happens. <laughs> I got front cover of Big Issue. That's good. Oh, yeah, yeah Cover Girl, yeah. 
Yeah, I love Big Issue. Yeah, yeah, I, I do too. Great, so, I mean, so. you know, I uh, and they didn't airbrush me or anything. Um, it was good. Um, so yeah, back to the book. Where were we? Get well, back to me. No, the book. I, I, it's interesting you say that you don't write for me because that's what because I try and I try and read as broadly as possible. But I, I, it's only in the last couple, well, the only the last year that I'm really pushing myself to read more novels because I'm so often researching things. Yeah. And now I make sure that once a week You're at a least I read. You're a non boy, aren't you? Not really. Do you know what? I actually love novels, but I always feel. I think one, you have that slight guilt sometimes where you go, it's not work. Whereas a non-fiction book, I'm there going, this might have an idea inside it for my stand-up or okay. I'm working on some kind of show about, you know, rocket launches or whatever. So I've been reading a lot more fiction. What about you, Beck? Are you a fiction girl? Yeah. I, well, actually, I say that. I've more recently started started uh, doing non-fiction. So a lot of um, maths and science books and, and th- a lot of stuff about space. Right. Yeah. I am pure fiction, totally and utterly. I love fiction. I always have. You know, I've always, when I was younger, I'd, I've, I mean, everything's on your phone now. And because of the weird eye thing that I have, the dry eye syndrome, I have to save my eyes for writing. I write in a massive size 20 font. And I always think I've done huge amounts of work, <laughs> pages and pages, and then I do the word count, and it's 500 words. You think, oh, God, of course, size font 20. Um, so I've always been somebody that's needed to have a book with me. I, now, audio. Audible is yeah, absolutely, yeah. and I am able to because there's different voices uh, juggle books in a way that I never used to be able to. Um, I've got three books on the go on Audible at the moment because the different voices distinguish them mm. so mu- much more easily than your own voice reading mm. in in your own head. So uh, my partner and I have a book to go to bed with. Uh, because that's what we do in bed now. We have audible, and we go to garden centres. Sex is over. Uh, it's such a relief. And we, um, we say that, and then tomorrow we're going to walk past the greenhouse and go, "Is that Jenny?" Oh my <laughs> yeah, god! Yeah, yeah well, and she's she's still got a cling film over her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Headphones and, on. Um, then I've got two um, just you know normal novels, just two, one for driving, one for in the bath, one for uh, yeah, I'm a big fiction. Yeah. What's your book at bedtime at the moment? Oh, it's a John Niven. Have you ever read any John Niven? John Niven. No, he's married. Absolutely the funniest, most scurrilous, most deviously bad, bad, naughty, uh, so naughty. He makes Jeff and I laugh out loud. He's so he's the most, least PC person, although underneath that is a real moral heart. Um, the uh, his, He wrote Single White Male, uh, Kill Them All, Kill Your Friends. Um, there's one called The Amateurs, which is about golf. I'm not interested in golf. Couldn't be less interested in golf. Um, that it's a it's a combination of golf and a, a, a man getting temporary Tourette syndrome. And I honestly, I um, have been bought to the edge of incontinence laughing by his work. <laughs> I ge- I genuinely do recommend. Um, and particularly for teenage boys who don't read, I think just mm. sling him a John Niven because they are scurrilous. The language is filthy. Um, there's always uh, a male uh, lead who is who can't behave himself. Who he's always having a wank somewhere in the wrong place. Do you know what I mean? Golf course. Yeah, anywhere, anywhere. Well, the golf course is, you know, again, it's it's all, all the holes that are there. And yeah, just yeah. the, I'm sorry, can I just take this shot and then you can pop back in later on if that's fine. The, uh... You're just starting to talk in the Blackpool postcard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's, yeah, I do that. I wrote, I read this one for all. I was going to ask if Inheritance yeah. is going to be. Yes, it will yeah. be. That comes out. That was a, it was a long job. Made myself cry twice. Well done. <laughs> Uh, what, was that actually about sentence structure or actually the emotion uh, of the... Because uh... I had that, when I did my Audible, I, I, I found little things that I hadn't noticed that I would have really disagreed with the editor about and I yes. suddenly went, 
Oh my God, he's put a joke in that I don't agree with at all. At the end of one bit, there's there's a, a little punchline that I didn't notice he'd added, and uh, and How when dare I did, you ever put a joke in? And um, when I signed the book now, I turn to that page and cross out that line. Yeah. <gasps> so uh, no, yeah. I, there were a couple of uh, there are a couple of there are actually a few <laughs> mistakes. There's an age thing. There's uh, somebody's called the wrong name. And these are things, I mean, I went through it, I thought with a fine tooth comb, I had a, you know, obviously had an editor and a proofreader, uh, but the, always, because I got really upset about this in the record and the woman, uh, my producer just said, every book, every single mm. book has got glitches and mistakes mm. in it. So, anyway. The, just, to, just to give people a brief idea of the book, I mean, I'm not going to give too much away because, of course, there is, we, we go, it it's, uh, goes back and forth in time. Uh, and it's it's starts off in the nineteen well it doesn't start off in the nineteen fifties but the the, the main the plot incident point is, yeah the incident there, there 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 is 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 an incident there is am I allowed to say there's a, a loss of a child yeah. early on and then we lose a boy we just find that the the way that you build up the psychological profiles of all of those involved and I thought the the imagination that some of the the, the beautiful moments of like for instance with 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 Belle who's one of the lead characters with within this the the, the present time. The way that you describe after she's been knocked out by a stone and being carried upstairs and what's going through it, your, your yeah. ability to go into other people's, very believably into other people's minds and, and their experience, whether it's an experience of their own I've failures. Carried, I've been carried indoors from parties. I think that um, it's a big old family saga, really. That's what it is. Uh, it's, a, it's a story. It's a story with a beginning, a middle and an end. It starts with this incident, a boy is lost, and it's how the, the you know, the, that is the stone being thrown in the pond and the ripples are felt mm. thereafter for, for decades. And it's about blood and belonging and it's about class and the cuckoo in the nest and it's about nature and nurture. Um, it's a, quite a lot about motherhood as well, which is something that... I think I'm quite driven by, and that's slightly annoying because I don't really agree with the cult of motherhood. But it does, it it, it very much it leaks into my work. I'm I'm a very much a product of who I am, which is a you know a woman who can smell a bus pass around the corner. I'm 59, <laughs> and you know my daughter's 30. There's I thought a, you were just showing off about a weird skill you have. Yeah. I think there's a bus pass you know, around. I have got an incredible sense of smell because I'm on mm. HRT. If you should ever go on HRT, the hormone replacement yeah. therapy, it's like being pregnant. You can smell anything. I can smell things around corners. It's extraordinary. I'm so sorry because it is a hot day that we're recording, and I yeah, am but a we're far, I'm, I'm, I'm doved up to the armpit. So there we go. <laughs> oh, there was this is something. There was um, a, a friend of mine who I was with uh, at the weekend who's 60, and in the car journey we had back from the festival. Uh, another woman of a similar age said, "Oh, you do know that I can't remember which form of HRT is yeah. no longer to be available, and they, they they haven't got enough of it for when we leave uh, Europe." And my wife was like, "What the fuck? I will not be able to function." And I just suddenly thought, "This may be the way that the government is yeah. brought down." Is by uh, and she, she went, yes. oh, "There's no way." She said, "I'll be on Downing Street, and there'll be a fucking bunch of us oh, if, if we don't get the HRT we need." And when we're angry, we get. Out of control. I mean, that's the only reason why I'm on HRT. It was nothing to do with physical symptoms. It was to do with the anger. I was just getting into fights all the time. And my partner genuinely thought I might get shot in the face because I live in south-east London. And really, you can't have road rage incidents all the time, get out and start fighting people on the street. Uh, so anyway, I'm much calmer now on the HRT. 
But, uh, you know, this is the fifth novel, uh, and you would think you'd know what you were doing by now with the construction of a book. And, and genuinely, it's always a massive shock to me when a book is completed because I'm not one of those people, and I don't know how many novelists you talk to, are pre-planners. I don't know how many of, um, you know, if you if the, of the novelists you talk to, I don't know what the percentage is of those who pre-plot and those like me that start with a kind of it's like a smell it's like a it's like a mm, oh there's a house oh look that what's in the house who's in the house why are these people in the house who bought this house um and it always i always have to know the inside of a house mm-hmm. so uh, there's a big house in cornwall which is actually based on um a hotel it's a rather charming hotel called foy hall in foy um in cornwall and then um, there's a house which I've never been into where Belle lives, as you said, she's our present day um, uh, protagonist, and uh, that's in Clapham. But I can see it. I can. Houses have always been very, very important to me, and I, I've been thinking about that to some extent. And I think it's because uh, when I was very small, my dad was in the army, and we lived um, on an army base. And everybody, if you're on an army base, this is in Berlin, everyone had the same furniture. So you all lived in these kind of pebble-dashed houses that all matched each other. They were semis in a cul-de-sac. Um, and they all belonged to, I think they all belonged to the British Army. And, um, I mean, they're replicated in army towns up and down, everywhere. Um, really dull little homes. And you couldn't do very much with them. You could put pictures up. But you, my mother was marched in and marched out, which basically they count your teaspoons um, because it's all army issue. And you, there's a, you know, there's a man with a, a clipboard counting everything, and uh, we moved quite a lot as well. So you don't really invest in your home. There's not, mm. you don't really put, you don't buy cushions, and there wasn't IKEA, and there wasn't a habitat. There wasn't, you know, it was it was 1960s Berlin, and so when my dad came out of the army, sort of as, as we came to 1970, and I came back from my last year of primary school in the UK, and I. I made friends uh, who weren't in the army and I went to their houses and it was like a mind fuck. I mean, mm. it really was. It was like I couldn't believe that there was so the difference in the houses. You know, Susan Wren Hilton's house, uh, that was, and I can see it to this day. And I've used that. I used Susan Wren Hilton's house in my third novel, which was called Life, Death, and Vanilla Slices, absolutely to, you know, the last detail. Um, and then my friend Jill Simpkins' bungalow, that was also in uh, Vanilla Slices. Um, so they've gone on. The houses have become huge. In in last one, moving, my sister had a very big Georgian house on Kennington Road, and that totally uh, provided the spine to moving because it was about a woman uh, deciding to sell her house and going round it. And as soon as I got that structure, you know, it was quite easy to to throw in a whole family history into that house. You know, every room, something had happened that's kind of, in the end, became part of this massive family jigsaw with a great big crack in it. So do you have an idea for your beginning, middle and end? Or no. do you just start? And no, then... I don't have... I love that. I don't. It's awful. It is awful. But I bet you'd find the other... I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? All the things that may well be awful are actually the main reason that you write. If you if you were someone that went, I've put all the post-it notes up now, I merely need to create the centre, you would probably find that as, I, I think... It probably it, it, wouldn't work. John, Jonathan mm. Code, I remember asking him when I was first 
book that I worked on having a nightmare with it. And uh, he said, yeah, he said, I remember my first book and it was it was absolutely awful writing it. And ever since then, it's got worse. And yes. so, and, and I know that your process is, is not uncommon. There's, I've, I've, I've I wonder what Code does. Have you read the... Middle England? No, I haven't yet. Fabulous. And I really it's want fabulous. to. fabulous. I listened to that on Audible. It's absolutely, it's so such a good Brexit book. It's such, a, it's, I think it's much more important than anyone is really giving it any credit for because it really kind of sums up why people did go for Brexit uh, in a very subtle and kind of snidey kind of little way. It's, it's a great book, it really is. Um, and I think better than anything he's written before, personally, for, for me. Um, but anyway, back to my book. I think he sells enough of his own. I'm, I'm interested in that thing about the house because when I was reading this, I realised that there's a house that I visited a few times in my childhood, not many times, which is one of my go-to houses when I'm reading a description of a house. You know, when, yeah, yeah, when I'm yeah. reading oh, someone yeah. else's work and I thought, God, this is exactly the house that I imagined. Or, or one, I take different rooms from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's just it's, it's a house just outside Saffron Walden that I visited. My mum's friend visited about five times. That was all. Yeah. And yet it keeps coming up. I, Company of Strangers, the Ian McEwan novel. I remember their, their little side room they had. I went, oh, that's where the little boy is forced to eat chocolate until he shits himself. You know, I, yeah. and it's, it's odd. Do you find that? But there's other certain patterns where you go this memory is often used in, in or just the chunk of room just a small chunk yeah. of room that well is... that's it I think you always place your own knowledge of something if someone described a room and said oh it was quite um, 80s in, in decor then I go oh okay yep that's my that's my auntie's house yep I remember yeah. that one it had a massive terrarium like you know all this sort of stuff so I, I'll place those in there but it's the first time I've noticed that I didn't really consider that that's what well, your brain does for for, uh, for this in this book there's uh, um for what was very important to me and what i saw very early on was a mountain of coats you know um those big family houses in clapham and so it's everyone's slightly outgrown everything and everything's got a bit shabby and it's all slight, becoming a bit worn and the children should have left years ago and there's a in the um hallway there's a you know a coat rack and she can't throw away any of the coats, and the coats go back to the children's childhoods, and the children are now in twenty six and twenty four. You know, if you bury deep into it, there would be you know a child's anorak from when they were about four. Um, so that sort of thing, those details of domestic life, I really, really like because I think that, especially when you you get to my age, they are very much part of your own life. You know, there's a lot of shared stuff with middle aged women. Um, and I think that that's that. There's quite a lot of stuff in there, and it's like your breakfast, your Belle's breakfast, with uh, you know looking at their her children in their jogging bottoms, yeah. and the the girlfriend who's now living and the gluten free, yeah, yeah, all of that. <laughs> yeah. That that felt like it came from the, there was there was wherever you were channeling that from, and I know it may well not be. Actually it's not real. No, that is totally. But it felt like there was someone that you knew well. That you thought, oh my god. God, I haven't got their life. I'm a starer. I'm a watcher. I'm a and I'm a big bus user as well. I mean, I live in Camberwell, so we don't have tubes. So I'm on the bus a lot. And um, I mean, I never you never hear anything interesting on the bus, but you pick up flavours of things and uh, other people's lives. Yeah, other people's lives are endlessly interesting, aren't they? And it's quite nice to um, shape them into a story. That and I think that like a lot of comics who write novels, actually there aren't that many of us. Um, 
But it has to have a beginning, a middle and end because there's a, a real punchline reflux, reflex reflux in us that needs to be fulfilled. And I can't ever write a book that doesn't have a big at the end. Yeah. You know, something happens. Do you often find that with each book around about the same moment as when you realise what the middle and end is or...? or... I, there's a, a moment where you feel it's very much like walking up a very high hill and there's a moment where you think, I'm nearly at the top, I'm nearly at the top. And then there's a moment where you think, I'm, it's just, I just need to go down this now. And that is a very nice moment because mm. you, by this point, you've invested so much in the characters, they kind of know what they're going to do. They will find their own way home, usually, if you let them. And they'll do surprising things. I mean, they'll you suddenly go, well, I, I have no idea that was going to happen. Now you've left me with a load of shit to deal with. So that's quite interesting. Um, but I never, I don't think I am, by nature, a, a, you know, just, a, I don't think I could just be a writer for the rest of my life. And... I've been offered two more books um, and there's a bit of me that I don't know whether I'll, they'll ever happen. I can't sit down and write a book. You know, a book it has to. It was on the Chortle front page. Jenny Clegg gets two-book deal. Yeah, no. There's no escape now. Uh, can you imagine? <laughs> um, I'd have to get, I don't take the money for it either. I don't take a penny for a book until it's done. I used to do that if my mum asked me to uh, wash her car. I'd never do it properly if I'd had the quid already. Yeah. yeah. yeah it was so, like yeah. bad luck. I don't it's like being paid for gigs, gigs. before I do this them. This is yeah. it. It's part of the superstition of being a, of being a comic. Yeah. You get paid before, you die on your ass. Yeah. Give me the filthy money afterwards. Tuck it in my bra. I'd like it in tenors. You know, I used to like doing... Do you remember the um, Malcolm's Place, the um, Tunnel Club? I, I was just... I started just after oh, the yeah. Well, he used to give it you like... It was like you were a factory worker and you got it in a brown proper envelope. Yeah, he did that with Up the Creek, I think, as well. Yeah, you count it and find and, out yeah, one of the reasons yeah. he used an envelope yeah. which was harder to find to out. It was 20 quid the, short. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Always. It was never the right yeah. amount of money. It was never it over, just, either. Oh, it was never, never Count it wrongly that way. Not again. <laughs> Hello, sorry to interrupt the podcast. I hope you're enjoying it and I hope you'll come back after this brief message. Check out the Cosmic Shambles Network online shop. You can get Book Shambles shirts and tote bags, badge packs, notebooks, and all that sort of stuff. There's signed hardback copies of my book, I'm a Joke and So Are You, and I'll personally dedicate them to you as well if you'd like me to. Everything you buy from the shop goes back in helping us continue to make the podcast and all of the science blogs and other things at Cosmic Shambles. I was I was wondering when when you were saying about that starting point because I know Harold Pinter who you've been compared to many times many times the, um, but Harold Pinter said that's what he, his plays would start with him just suddenly he kind of imagined someone and like wonder what they'd do if that happened and that was so you know mm. birthday parties like that mm. it, it, again he hadn't imagined some grand it it, it, it was psychologically he was going into that character going oh if that bloke suddenly someone turned up and that what would happen there, there is a feeling under your skin that where you it, i think it's sometimes like um i'm a really bad sunday afternoon painter but there are some days where you know that a painting's got more chance of working than others where you just feel like no this i really fancy doing it and there's a kind of feeling where you just go I, i'm i'm quite happy to sit down and, and have a go at this um it's and, and often it's born of necessity as well. I mean, last year I'd finished a grumpy tour that hadn't sold as well as all the other t- tours had. And normally we, we got three or four tours out of a grumpy show. 
and this one only did one. And I think a lot of the reason was Brexit. I think nobody's got enough money. They put the prices up too much. They were 26, 27 quid. And I said, anything over 20 quid for our audience is a fucker. They're just not yeah. going to come out. And I was also a lot right. of people are generating their own grumpiness now. It's, well, it's, they, they, they really they don't need to go to others. To, yeah, uh, yeah. They were they, they've always been extraordinary. They're much more. If you've ever seen a grumpy show, they are um, not what anybody expects. They are a complete. Um, they're like a cross between a panto, a gang show, sketch, stand up, monologue. They're very odd. Uh, they're three weeks rehearsal. They're a big old thing. Their sets, their costumes, their stuff. Uh, so I was really disappointed in that. And I just thought, you have no other work. And I sort of sat down literally the day after that tour finish and I started it. And there was there was a need to do it. The idea had been bubbling for a bit. And I just thought, no, this is the day you start. Hmm. And then you just sit there, don't you? You just sit there and sit there. And I mean, I literally, it's so bad for your health. I mean, writing books, because I don't, I don't move. And I've got one of those, you know, when you have on your phone, your Fitbit thing, and you realise that for nine months, you've averaged 720 steps a day. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to move the fridge further away from the typewriter. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, do you find when you're starting from that point, because we talked to a few authors about this, which is sometimes they get halfway through and they go, oh, I thought it was going to be about this event and this character. But I've realised... I don't care about that anymore. And they, they so, so they, they write, if they're doing the writing in the style that you're doing as well, which is yeah. you, there, there's, there's no certainty from the beginning. Yeah. It is let's get into their heads mm-hmm. and start moving with them. That sometimes going, someone that I thought was going to fascinate me, uh, actually, not only am I going to kill them off, they're never even going to exist. They're erased and I'm now starting actually what is chapter 12. Uh, yes, I understand how that happens. It hasn't happened to me. I'm really glad it hasn't because uh, I think it would kind of put me in bed for three weeks. Um, But I have had very much different endings. I had no idea what was going to happen with my ending with this. And I really was leaving it up to luck and chance. And, um, and, And what did happen in the end did surprise me. What happened to one character particularly, I hadn't seen that coming. And then it just seemed a complete inevitability. And what is, uh, I think, in the same vein as that, what does happen that you can never predict is the coincidences that start to happen, the kind of dovetailing of stories that you had no idea that you were setting up these things to kind of... Uh, match each other up or balance each other up and suddenly you go, oh, oh, but that tie was, he was wearing that tie and she had seen it, that, that and you go, oh, thank, oh, yes, oh, I'm so <laughs> thrilled and so, I'm so delighted and this has worked out very well. It's like finding the punchline to a joke. It's like yeah. such a fucking relief, isn't it? Mm. We just go, yes, and oh, thank God, because that was bothering me. Because it's otherwise, it's just loose ends, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's just stuff. Are you getting ready for Edinburgh? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. How are um, you feeling? Well, luckily, it's a show that I wrote last year. Oh, so, nice. uh, yeah. But I had that because it's far more scripted than previous shows. It's 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 almost a play. Um, oh, right, right. Yeah, I don't want to give away too much, but uh, yeah, it's um. And so when I was writing it, I I had those. I had one of those moments where you wake up at four a.m. because your brain goes, and that's how you finish that. Yeah. And then you wake up and go. Well, I have to get up and write that now, don't yeah, I? And then yeah. my husband and come in and go, "What are you doing? It's four a.m." I said, "Oh, found the ending to this bit." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, have a great time. Thank you. Enjoy. Yeah.
Yeah, trying not to have dark moments over the cobbles. No, no. Well, th- thankfully, I'm I'm taking one of my closest friends up. I've got a nice little support network, yeah, so yeah. I'm trying to. But it's like my eighth fringe or something, so I'm. I'm it's a great test, though, isn't it, in terms of who will be your friend and who will remain your friend? Because I think, and I think it's become easier now to observe this because of people's again Twitter feeds and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Which is, you know, there are some people where you go, oh my god, they've literally only plugged their own show and they've done, they've spent so much time on social media and they haven't at one point said, oh, you must go and see Jenny's yeah, show or Beck's yeah. show whatever it might yeah. be and I, I remember about oh, probably 14 years ago now having a really problematic show maybe 15 years ago and it was driving me mad and a lot of other things were going wrong at the time as well in in, in uh just you know th- around um seeing the people who could only express themselves by saying how many stars they just got in a review yeah. uh, in a positive way or how many people they were getting in or rushing over to say they can't believe the guardian said that about you and and you go oh. can you find that was mostly men um, yeah. It is. Uh, you know, I do think that, that I don't think not, women tend to do that. I really don't. I also think that, you know, there's pros and cons about that sort of behaviour. Um, because, I mean, these people, I don't know. I think that most people have had the absolutely humiliating, shame to be in your own skin, Edinburgh, where it's just embarrassing to even take a breath. Yeah. Um, and I don't know many people who survive them every single year unscathed. I think it's like someone who goes, uh, oh, do you know what? I've never been heckled or I've never had a bad gig. You think, mm-hmm. well, either you're delusional or yeah. you're incredibly it's boring. Coming. Whatever yeah. you've yeah. created yeah. is so dull, yeah. no one has ever even been able to like, react to it. You're very three yeah. stars. You're very Yeah. Three. It's just... Are those people who are in life. denial? Yeah. I always worry about that. Yeah. Just the idea. If you go... My my main concern is one day I'll end up to be one of those people who thinks they've had a good gig and everyone found it fine. There's nothing <laughs> fine. worse than someone who comes off stage and goes, wasn't that amazing? Oh, I was having a great time. And I go, really? Okay. But there is, I think there is that thing where I think from quite early on working in comedy, I was always more drawn to people who wanted to immediately share that terrible gig that they just had in Peterborough mm. than go, I'll tell you what, I just stormed it the other night. You know, someone going, and then they just threw their shoes at me and I had to run out of town. <laughs> yeah, then you're yeah, like going, yeah. yeah, let's hang around. Yeah. You have negative narcissism <laughs> and I think we're all going to have a lot more fun with our stories. Is it, because is I, it, I generally don't It's the find... same with the books though. I mean, the, the, at this stage, which is the week before publication, is this time when the jitters set in because this is, and, and what I do worry if this falls into the wrong hands, some people will hate it, and I. It's a horrible thing because um, moving has just uh, been kind of re-released. Moving was the fourth novel, and it's weirdly four years on from being published has just had a month as number one in the Kindle charts, only because of ninety nine p. And people really go for that. It's like a complete thing. You know, and it sold 55,000 copies, which is an incredible amount. Mm. Um, But the author doesn't really get anything because if you are selling for underneath a certain amount of money, there's no royalties. Anyway, we won't go there. (laughs) And, um, and, And but I do know with that sort of suddenly a mass market, there are people who really didn't get it and really didn't like it because all of a sudden it was much more shared with a much bigger audience of people. But also, do you think that might have had something to do with the um, 
with the 99p because I always find that when people don't pay as much for stuff, yeah. they're far more critical of it. Possibly, possibly. Whereas when they've invested what, in it. Your shows £5,000 a ticket, doesn't it? £5,000 <laughs> a yeah. ticket, that's correct. Just yeah. that one gig. Just yeah. one oh, person. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Private audience with. Lovely. <laughs> but that's interesting because I, I presume that there's, first of all, because you're known for various different things. So people who know you're stand-up or grumpy or women or whatever it might be. Yeah that they move in with an expectation of, oh, it's, you know, that, that this will be a fun comedy, comedy, yeah. comedy. And, of course, something like Inheritance is, though, though there's some very, I mean, I think there's some lovely gothic stuff in there as well. Mm. I hope you don't mind. No, I, that I, is I totally. I really I'll take like that. that. And, uh, and some of it's very funny in, in the way that you analyse. But it's not a comedy book. No, it really isn't. Um, and I th- and also I think that if it's you're right if it gets to too many people I love the the example we always use is uh, uh, Emma McBride who yeah yeah uh, yeah. yeah now uh, her book of course became enormously <laughs> successful and and uh, then it wins it, an award yeah. and like everyone gets their hands on it and goes I can't read this yeah. oh, it's our, mental our, our book group uh, had it and we hated it yeah and it's like well no she hasn't written for you she's written this incredible piece of work which is kind of you know like poetry in, influenced by Joyce and Beckett yeah. and and, and, it, and it does take it, yeah. effort as well. You you have to, you can't just, it's not a book to read in a train or a bus. It's a book to go, do you know what? I've got the afternoon off and I'm yeah, going to go sit yeah. in this corner and I'm going to read, and, it, and it's an incredible piece of work. But if you look at her Amazon page and she laughed about it, she said, basically it's five star or one star. Yeah. And they really are, people are angry. And I think I can't remember if it was oh. her, but someone told me about they once agreed to go to someone. Someone said, "Would you come to our book club? We're doing your book." Oh. And she went, "Oh yeah, I'll come to your book club." And then just sat there while everyone told her how shit her book was. Wow! <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I, I mean, there was one on moving this morning, which is basically there is no need for language like that. And you just go, "Oh dear, you're, you're such the wrong person for this." But uh, you know, I think that it, of all the books I've written, Inheritance is probably the most has got the widest appeal. I think that what I wanted with this one is that I am very influenced by people like um, uh, the the woman who wrote The Cazalets, Elizabeth Jane Howard, and um, Elizabeth Taylor, not that one, the other one. Uh, And those sort of, you know, there's there's always a a bit of melancholy going through. And also what are called fruitcake books which um, are Moorish. You sort of like, mm. so you, you kind of think, well, I'm, I'll just have a chapter or I'll just have <laughs> one slice. And then you find yourself hacking a little bit more. I'll just straighten the edges. I'll Just two more pages, that sort of thing. I wanted to do that. And I also wanted to write a book that was, um, could be a, a, you know, read in Greece on a sun lounger or in the pissing raid on a, Pissing rain on a, a very long coach journey. That sort of. It's very total... much an all weathers book. It, it... I mean, if you're thinking, is the weather right for me to read this? Well, Jenny's taking that into account. I it's think that's important. Whether it's important. overcast or yeah. yeah, it's an all weathers book, yeah. and you can cur- it's a curl up book. It's it's ideal if you've broken your leg. It's great for that. If you're in bed for three weeks, that sort of thing. So yeah, I anyway, I'm very fond of it already, and. Um, you know, I'll fight people that don't like it. Well, in, that's a, a lovely offer as well. So do go to one of the signings <laughs> if you didn't like it, because uh, that would. Yeah. But it's yeah, Jenny Clay, uh, in inheritance, and uh, I've like I said, I've, I've, having never read any. Um, I, I think sometimes I avoid comics books because I'm worried that they oh, might yeah. have a brilliant idea in it that I think, oh, I'd have liked to turn that into stand. You know that thing yeah. as well. Where no, there's never slightly... there's no stand up in my books ever, but I do think there's a terrible snobbery, and I have it myself. And there are several people that whose books I have avoided because I think, well, actually, they'll probably be shit. And I could tell you names, but I'm not going to. Yeah. Uh, but I think I should go and read Ruth Jones's book because I've avoided that because I, for some reason, there's a lack of trust. 
Beck Hill, thank you very much. Uh, Beck show, uh, I'll be back, is at Pleasant's 10 uh, during the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. If this goes out after the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, then just find out what Beck's doing. You can look her on the internet. Jenny Eclair's Inheritance is out now. Uh, I'm on tour uh, around the UK, both on my own and with uh, Professor Brian Cox, though sometimes even when I'm with Professor Brian Cox, I feel very alone as well. <laughs> uh, so uh, thanks for listening. Go to CosmicShambles.com, find out about more things. Oh, also, uh, we have a few Cosmic Shambles events coming up, uh, as well as some Christmas shows in Salford and at King's Place in London. We're doing Sea Shambles at the Royal Albert Hall. We have many people booked for it. We have not announced most of them. So far, I can only tell you, Helen Chersky, Steve Backshall and I will be there but uh, we have some lovely surprises. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to our Patreon supporters. Uh, Patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go to support us or five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or other platforms, other podcast platforms uh, or train platforms. Uh, work, go up and tell someone on a train platform that you would give Book Shambles five stars. Uh, that would be great as well. Uh, lots of live events. Uh, come and see us at various places. CosmicShambles.com has got all that information. Uh, and just a quick uh, note at the end of this episode as well. Uh, this week saw the passing of uh, the brilliant human being and writer Tony Morrison, uh, who is someone that we've talked about on countless episodes of Book Shambles. Uh, praising her writing, her essays, her novels. Uh, Beloved, obviously, the most well-known of those. If you haven't um, read any of Toni Morrison's work, a final just book recommendation this week from everyone at Shambles. Do yourself a favour and go out and read some Toni Morrison. Uh, I just picked up uh, her Mouthful of Blood collection of essays and speeches uh, this week, actually, just uh, a couple of days before uh, it was announced that she had died. Uh, I'm really enjoying that, so go out and get yourself some Toni Morrison. You cannot go wrong with that. Uh, Have a great week. Enjoy whatever it is you've got to do, and we will be back next week with another new episode. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.